Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. I heard a rumor once. I heard a rumor that George Washington had wooden teeth. It's true. You might have heard that rumor as well. But I did a little research. Turns out, no, George Washington did not use wooden teeth. He had ivory teeth. I heard another rumor. I heard a rumor that the uh, the Mikey kid from the Life cereal commercials, he was rumored to have uh, met his demise while eating Pop Rocks and drinking Coca-Cola. You're not supposed to do that. Could explode your stomach. That's what my parents told me when I was a kid. Turns out it's not true. None of it's true. In fact, the kid that, uh, the cute kid from those uh, cereal commercials, is a guy named John Gilchrist. He's alive and well. Not as cute as he was when he was like five, six, seven. But he's working as the director of media sales for Madison Square Garden. I heard another rumor about Marilyn Manson. I can't get too much into it, but apparently he had a surgery. I don't know if you heard this. To have ribs removed. It's not true. Marilyn Manson did not have a surgery, have his rib cage removed. What I'm saying is uh, be careful out there. I wrote about it today at johnconzano.com because it feels like the rumor mill is in full force. And maybe you're used to this because this is just the year 2022. It's social media. It's people. I wonder sometimes, are people getting dumber or do we just have more access to dumb people? Think about that sometime in your spare time. But uh, there was a rumor last night that was circulating about Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach. Uh, one of the uh, Auburn fan message board sites, and you got to be careful with the fan message board sites, especially if you're a fan. I know a lot of fans that subscribe to those sites and give away their disposable income and uh, come away uh, on a lot of days feeling better about the program than they normally would. Uh, but I also have to caution you that a lot of those sites are being run by people who are doing it as a side hustle they're not sourced they're not going to really know what's going on they're often just throwing things out see what sticks to the wall just to have some content on a sunday and that's what happened yesterday with the site that is run by sports illustrated it's a fan nation site for auburn football and the writer or the moderator whatever he is uh put out a story saying that there's mutual interest between auburn and Dan Lanning, Oregon's coach. Now, Oregon had a great weekend. Oregon beat Colorado 49-10. to Oregon watched Clemson get upset by Notre Dame. Oregon saw uh, LSU beat Alabama, like a lot of us. And uh, Oregon saw Georgia beat Tennessee. Like, Oregon had uh, a lot of things go right on a weekend when they needed some chaos. They got some chaos. But on Sunday, here came the news that their head football coach, Dan Lanning, nine games into his tenure, had apparently expressed some mutual interest uh, with Auburn. Now, Lanning's going to get asked about this today, and I suspect he's going to shoot it down, because I did what any credible, you know, responsible journalist would do 
when faced with a report like that, my phone started blowing up. People started saying, is this true? Is this true? Is this happening? So I went to the horse, right? I didn't go to, like, somebody who knows a guy who knows a guy. I reached out to Dan Landing, and I said, what do you want me to do with this? Is there anything to this? And he said, kill it. It's not true. I've got less than zero interest in that job. Uh, and I said, do you want to be quoted? And Dan Lanning said, no, you can kill it yourself. You know what to do. And uh, Dan Lanning, I think, is chomping at the bit today. I went back and forth a little bit with him last night about it. And I think he's chomping at the bit today for somebody to ask him about it. I hope uh, and I expect one of the media members uh, who covers the team to ask him about it. Matt Prem, 24-7 Sports, might be the guy on that beat to ask him about it. But I think that uh, Dan Lanning is looking forward to shooting that down. But we're in an era of misinformation. And I will double down again. I love that you come to this radio show because I'm going to give you sourced, in-depth commentary, reporting. Uh, I'm not going to just be throwing stuff out there. I know a lot of shows will do that. We're not doing that here. This isn't what we're about. If you want to know what's going on, uh, come here. It might not always be good news or happy news, but I'm not going to lie to you. If, uh, if Dan Lanning was leaving or I thought he was leaving, I would tell you. Now, once upon a time... You know, Mario Cristobal, Willie Taggart. I mean, I, ha I went back and forth with those guys. Like, are they going to leave? Should they leave? That's not the case with Dan Lanning. This is not me supposing is Dan Lanning interested or not interested. And I did that a little bit with Mario Cristobal and Willie Taggart because that's part of my job. Make an educated guess. Would Willie Taggart leave Oregon for Florida State? Uh, what do you think about Mario Cristobal in Miami? Is that the one place that Oregon should be worried about? Now, I think at the time... Oregon tried to put its arms around Mario Cristobal, extended him a contract offer. He did not sign it. His agent is Jimmy Sexton, who uh, is running college sports right now. He's got all the coaches in his corner. Frankly, he has some of the media members as his clients as well. And I think when you get some information that comes through certain channels at ESPN, you're getting Jimmy Sexton, who's driving the narrative there. That's why you come to the show. I'll tell you how the sausage is made. But with Dan Lanning, it's different. Dan Lanning's a rural Missouri kid. He attended a college that has a Division II football program. It's not like, uh, you know, William uh, Jewell College is going to come calling for Dan Lanning. Like, it's just, that's not what's going to happen. They're not going to peel him away from the University of Oregon. Uh, in Missouri, you know, people may point out that Missouri is in the SEC, but if you ask anybody in the SEC footprint what they think of Missouri, they don't really consider Missouri part of the SEC, like the SEC fans do not. And so I don't think the allure of going to Missouri, uh, you know, means much to Dan Lanning. And I know going back to his alma mater, you know, maybe when he's 70 years old, he'll go there and he'll be an assistant coach or something. I, I could see that. But I don't see Dan Lanning, like, leaving the University of Oregon for a Division II program. And I think there are very few places that uh, Dan Lanning would leave Oregon for. I think one would be the Kansas City Chiefs. That's just me spitballing. I haven't asked Dan Lanning that, but I know that as a kid, he was a crazy Chiefs fan. I know he pays attention to the Chiefs. I know he went to Arrowhead Stadium with his dad and his brother once when he was younger, and they couldn't believe it. Like, you know, they were in the stadium having a hot dog, like, they, you know, blown away by that. So I think someday, if Dan Lanning wins enough at the college level, and, uh, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs' job happened to be open, that that might be a job he would leave Oregon for. I also think if Georgia were open, it would be difficult for Dan Lanning, who was the D coordinator under Kirby Smart, to turn down Georgia. But he's not going to the SEC to take the second-best job in Alabama. 
He's not leaving Oregon and making the mistake that Willie Taggart and Chip Kelly, to some extent, and Mario Cristobal have made. I pointed out in print today, if you read me at johnconzano.com or you already subscribed to me, get a free subscription, get a paid subscription, whatever works for you, you know that I, I uh, dug down on some interesting data when it came to Oregon coaches. And I think it's really interesting to look at this. Like, what did Willie Taggart do at Oregon? He was 7-5. and five. What did he do everywhere else? He was 63-73. and 73. What did Mario Cristobal do at Oregon? He was 35-13. and 13. What did he do everywhere else? He was 31-52. and 52. What did Chip Kelly do at Oregon? He was 46-7. and 7. What did Chip Kelly do everywhere else? Well, he went 26-26 and 26 and counting at UCLA. Now, look, anybody following those coaches when they leave Oregon knows that it's been, at best, mixed results. And more accurately, in some cases, it's been a disaster. Chip Kelly goes to the NFL, he flops, he goes to UCLA, he really struggles, he almost gets fired, he has resurrected himself in the last two seasons, and he has now turned into a pretty good coach at UCLA. It took him some time, though. Mario Cristobal, before Oregon, after Oregon, struggled. He's 4-5. and five. He got beat 45-3 to three by Florida State on Saturday. And Cristobal is now encountering a bunch of frustrated Miami fans and frustrated radio show hosts in in Miami and ever, other places. He did a uh, interview on a Miami uh, radio show just today. Yeah, that's the part that, you know, really, it's, uh, it's as, a, as a Miami Hurricane, as an alum, that's the part, one of the parts that really just hits you, you know, right, in the, right between the eyes that, um, you know, you want to do well for everybody. It's why we're here, you know, been watching it from afar for a long, long time. I know everything that needs to be done and all the things that we have to work on. And unfortunately, you know, it's, it's going to, it takes time, you know, and you want to do well for everybody, for the community, for the fans, for the university. We're not there yet. Are we going to get there? Absolutely. 100% undoubtedly. And we're going to do that at full force with unbelievable players and an unbelievable program right now. You know what? It's tough sledding. We got to eat it and we got to own up and be tough. If you ain't tough, then you know what? Well, tough crap. It ain't for you. Mario, um, appreciate you coming on uh, to talk a little bit. These are these are never easy for uh, for anybody, but I uh, I appreciate you getting up with us this morning and 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 for your fan base to hear, you know, for the, all these questions and everything and what's Mario thinking and uh, and so we appreciate you coming what, what on. Am I thinking Mario's pissed off? That's what I'm thinking. <clears throat> I'm upset. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be around some good teams for a long time and played on some good teams and built some good teams. And now we got to build this one. And early on, it's tough-ass sledding. And, and I hate every bit of a loss that comes with it, but I also get up more enthused than ever to go to work. And that's where we're at. And that's Mario Cristobal, the Miami coach. And so, you know, look, he's struggling. And I think Miami should give him a larger sample size before they cave in on him. I mean, I do think you should give coaches two or three seasons before you really start to look at what they are. That's Dan Lanning included. Like, let's be real, Dan Lanning inherited some nice pieces left over from the Mario Cristobal era. And, and he added a quarterback in Bo Nix, credit to him. And, and, and I think he's done a nice job this season. But, again, we're nine games in. So let's give a larger sample size. But the thing that I've noticed, and maybe you have too, is that at some point, Willie Taggart, Chip Kelly, Mario Cristobal, at some point someone's going to make Eugene their forever place. At some point somebody's going to go, you know what, this is a place that's got great resources, 
They've invested a billion dollars in football in recent decades. World-class branding with Nike. You got Phil Knight, the single most influential booster in the history of college athletics. You've got three decades of sweat equity. Gary Campbell, Coach Greatwood. You've got Nick Galliotti, Rich Brooks, Mike Bellotti. Like, there's a lot of momentum that led into the success of Chip Kelly, the success of Mario Cristobal and Willie Taggart, and frankly, the success of Dan Lanning. Now, I'm not saying that anybody goes to Oregon and they win. I'm not saying that. But I think I definitely am saying that the machine going on down there in Eugene that is humming right now is built to turn a competent, organized coaching staff into a dangerous thing, a successful thing. And let's not forget you're competing in the Pac-12 conference where there are some mulligans, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State. Like over the years, we've seen some mulligans. This isn't the SEC. It's not the Big Ten. But I think it's interesting to kind of look at the rumor around Dan Lanning on Sunday. No truth to it. I'm sure he's going to shoot it down today when he's asked about it. I'm here to tell you that when I asked him, he basically said, Nope, zero interest, less than zero interest. I said, do you want me to kill the kill it? And he says, kill it. And so I did. So I tweeted that out last night. I sent out an email blast right away to my subscribers at johnconzano.com. They got it last night, 8.30. And it basically said, here's what I know. Here's why I know it. And I'll do that from time to time. doesn't matter where I am, what time it is. I can do that now. So uh, I was happy to do that because... We're, we're in an era where there's so much misinformation, and there's a lot of unsourced pretenders out there. Like, look, I get it. They're trying to run fan sites. They, you know, they have to come up with content. They're just not sourced. They can't make a phone call. But to say there's mutual interest between Auburn and Dan Lanning is ridiculous. Lanning has no interest. And then I come to find out later on Sunday night that Auburn has hired a search firm and that search firm has got a list of candidates, and guess what? Dan Lanning's not on it. So there's mutual disinterest, in fact, from both parties. It looks like Auburn is on their list is a bunch of coaches who have a whole bunch of experience who could bring their own staffs with them, and that's not Dan Lanning after nine games. So I'm interested to see what Lanning does for the rest of this year. We've got a full radio show. I have, I have more than enough content today. I'm not going to get it all in. But I'm just telling I'm here to tell you that I'm weary with the rumors. I'm weary with the unsourced fanboy message board, you know, honks that are out there. And some of them do it right. Some of them do a great job just sort of saying, "Hey, here's my role. I'm not sourced, but you know, we're going to have fan discussion." That's fine. But where I get like a little bit perturbed is when you get sort of the guy who's pretending there's one in the pac-12 in the arizona footprint he's a pretender he has no sources doesn't know what he's talking about constantly throwing junk out all oh, the four corners universities are leaving oh arizona's going here oh, it's just ridiculous it's just it's it's asinine and and i look at it and i just sort of mute 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 it's not even worth your time so you know look i'm here to tell you that from the rumor mill dan lanning's not going to auburn and i don't think auburn wants dan lanning either Dan Lanning's got to prove he can coach at Oregon. And by the way, we've got a body of work from Willie Taggart, Mario Cristobal, and Chip Kelly that suggests that that Oregon job is a pretty damn good job. Coming up, we'll talk about San Diego State to the Pac-12 Conference, why I think Utah is dangerous, and I'm on a hot streak that, that I don't know will ever end. I'm knocking on wood on this commercial break. Leave it right here. you got the BFT. 
You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I love that you're in on the inside of what is going on in the Pac-12 and other places because you listen to this show. Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick Show this morning uh, dropped a little tidbit on San Diego State. Uh, For those of you who listen to the show, you know last week I was talking about and writing about San Diego State to the Pac-12, that there's a dance going on. I would classify it as a slow dance kind of a middle school slow dance like this is a serious dance that's going on here between the Pac-12 and San Diego State. San Diego State has hired consulting firms. Bob Delaney, the former Big Ten commissioner, is one of the consultants who's consulting on behalf of a, uh, a company that uh, San Diego State is consulting with. Also, uh, the former Duke uh, athletic director, the retired Duke AD, is consulting as well. And they're helping San Diego State position themselves for inclusion in the Power Five. And San Diego State has done some things, too. They have, they have elevated to another stratosphere, so to speak. They built the football stadium, Snapdragon Stadium, on their campus. They uh, sold out a lot of the premium seating. The rest of the seating is not selling as well, so they're reducing it, trying to fill it in. They are, um, you know, trying to invest it, like a Power Five conference program would invest in football and in men's basketball in particular. They did some things academically. They lobbied uh, lawmakers in California. Uh, previously, if you were at a CSU, San Diego State, Cal State Fullerton, Chico State, State School in California, uh, San Jose State, if you were going to get a doctorate degree, you had to work with a UC campus. So there was a partnership that would happen, and maybe you'd work with UC Berkeley or UC Santa Cruz or UCLA, and you could still be a student at one of the CSUs, but you'd have to be kind of in this joint program with one of the UCs. Um, It's a law that goes back to 1960, and what happened was San Diego State hired a consulting firm to help them lobby lawmakers in California to get that changed, and they were successful in getting that change. So it was a big, big deal for, you know, for people who are San Diego State fans. uh, It's a big deal to have uh, the ability to go to San Diego State and get a doctorate degree. So now you can do that at San Diego State. And why does that matter? Well, it matters because the presidents and the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors, all due respect to them, they're a little snobby. Okay, they are. They're just a little snobby. They think, you know, hey, our academics better than the other uh, conferences around the country academically. We line up with the Big Ten. You may have heard some of that talk once upon a time. But I think it's really interesting because, you know, they've kind of always looked down their nose at the CSU system. And they've said, you know, we would only take research institutions, or if you have a medical school, we consider you as well. So now uh, San Diego State has the ability to offer an independent doctorate degree. That's a big deal. So San Diego State is well positioned. Dan Patrick this morning on the Dan Patrick Show, though, dropped a nugget that caused a lot of stir in the Pac-12 conference footprint. It's like San Diego State is going to go to the Pac-12. That uh, is expected, at least according to my source, to be announced this week. But San Diego State to the Pac-12. There's Dan Patrick. And that's all he really said. And I want to unpack it a little bit. Let's let me just break this down. It's 11 seconds, but it caused my phone to ring. I'm sure it caused 
administrators across the Pac-12 footprint, their phones to ring. I know because I reached out to them and they said, our, uh, my phone's been blowing up. And my morning's been busy. All because of what Dan Patrick said. And look, I got a lot of respect for Dan Patrick. He has a huge audience, national platform, generally knows what he's talking about. It's like San Diego State is going to go to the Pac-12. There's Patrick. That's the first part. And you know what? I agree with him. I think San Diego State eventually ends up in the Pac-12. The second part of this, the final eight seconds, is where I kind of go, huh, I wonder if his sources um, are that entrenched or where are his sources getting this information. That uh, is expected, at least according to my source, to be announced this week. But There it is. That's the part that I don't agree with. It doesn't make sense. The timing doesn't make sense. So I reached out again. We're talking about the rumor stuff in the first segment. I reached out again to sources who are directly involved, like in the room involved with Pac-12 expansion, San Diego State's bid. I've, you know, just for background, I've talked to the consulting firms. I've talked to administrators on the San Diego State campus. I've talked to their, you know, uh, people in their different departments, you know, about, you know, how they position themselves, all this stuff. I get a lot of background. But it gives me the ability when stuff like this happens to quickly make some phone calls and find out what's going on. And here's what I'm told on the San Diego State front. They remain in contention and probably at the front of the line for the Pac-12 conference. But there's a problem with the timeline presented by Dan Patrick's source. This week, this week, this week doesn't make any sense. It, uh, I am told by people directly involved that nothing has changed that they are still kind of meandering down the path. Um, This caught several Pac-12 conference sources that are highly placed sources, high-ranking officials by surprise, and they were like, no, doesn't really mesh with what we know. And I trust these people because they're just not wrong about this stuff. They're in the room. It's their world. It's not my world. It's their world. I'm just diving in, diving out. And what I'm being told is, Here's the timeline for the Pac-12 conference to potentially out of school. And I think San Diego State makes a lot of sense. It's in Southern California. you got 1.2 million te- television households. It replaces the divot that potentially could be left by USC and UCLA leaving to the Big Ten. Like, it gets you back into that Southern California footprint in a way that, you know, makes a lot of sense. You know, it fits with the Arizona schools in Utah, Colorado, down in that sort of division and for travel. And, you know, so it makes sense. But... The problem is the timeline, because here's what's going on in the Pac-12. you got a Regents, UC Regents meeting coming up November 15th to the 17th. So we are eight days away from UCLA facing the music. And we know that they're going to face the music because if you're following, like, John Wilner, who's way more into the UC Regents thing than I am, I'm just, I'm sorry, I just, I, I can't. That's kind of where I draw the line. It's just, it's too much. It's like, I'm in this for the sports. I need to stay around the teams and the entities. But Wilner's into the UC Regents agenda meeting, and he's saying, look, they've changed it to an action item on the agenda. I'll take his word for it on that. He knows. He's sourced on that front. So it looks like the Regents are going to make a decision on UCLA in about eight or nine days, okay? So there's just no way that the Pac-12 is going to add a school before that it's just not going to happen and you also have in the middle of this you've got a uh you've got a uh you know the ability for the pac-12 schools 
to uh, negotiate their media rights. So you have media rights, you have the regents, and then in the end you have, uh, you know, you're looking a little bit at, like, what is going to happen with San Diego State? Well, San Diego State's not going to be invited, I don't think, until the regents thing is settled, because I think the Pac-12 is going to want to know, does it have UCLA back or not? And then I think the Pac-12 is going to want to know, all right, here's our media rights deal. Here are the actual numbers. Now that we know that UCLA is in or out or whatever it may be, I'm not going to make a prediction there. I think it's relatively slim that UCLA remains in the Pac-12 conference. I'll put it at like 8 or 10% most case. I think even the people at UCLA who are super, super bullish on getting to the Big Ten are saying, hey, there's like a 5% chance that they have to stay. Like, I think that's reasonable just to say, hey, let's call it 8%, okay? So... 8 or 10% that UCLA stays in the conference. But you're not going to want to make a decision on San Diego State until you know that. And if you know that UCLA is gone, it changes the calculus. And if you're San Diego State, you probably want to know that too because it gives you a little more leverage if UCLA is gone. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a holding pattern on the San Diego State front. If I'm wrong on this, it's because Dan Patrick has got a source that I don't have. But I've got people in the room that are telling me nothing's changed. San Diego State still, uh, you know, top of the list, strong consideration, ongoing communications. But there's these other matters that have to be settled first. I think it's going to be the UC Regents eight to ten days from now. I think you'll get a media rights offer that comes directly in the wake of that. And then I think you get expansion. If you've ever seen a triple jump, I keep coming back. I'm big on metaphor, right? If you've ever seen an Olympic triple jumper, it's a hop, a skip, and a jump. It happens very fast. In fact, if you've ever tried to triple jump, you know it's not easy, right, to get the kind of the coordination of the hop, skip, jump. happens fast. I think that's what's going to happen here. I think it's going to be UC Regents meeting, media rights, expansion, hop, skip, jump. Hop, skip, jump. That's how it's going to go. Leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Kind of bummed for Oregon State on Friday night. They should have won that game. Steven, Peter, what'd you think? Oregon State, Washington, Friday night. Let's start there. Yeah, I mean, it was a uh, it was a tough one for the Beavs, right? It just seemed like they couldn't throw the football, and I think that was the problem, right? Like going into it, we were worried about that. Can they rely on Gilbranson to make those throws? And Washington was trying to make them throw, you know, because they didn't believe it. They just loaded the box up, and even with that, Damian Martinez ran the ball well, but you know, Washington made just enough plays, and then Washington got that third goal from what, like the twenty-two yards out. Uh, where the Beavs just you know lost lost the coverage and was wide open in the end zone. Just a couple mental mistakes by the Beavs, and it ended up costing them. Yeah, that final drive was unbelievable. Penix, I mean, who yeah. did not look great necessarily the whole game, was on fire. So I, because of the, the power outage, I'd moved to bed. I was watching it on my tablet, and there was almost a sense of just inevitability on that drive. You could feel it when it was, they were backed up. They had a couple third downs, not just that one to get to the goal line. And it'd be say third and six. And you just knew, you knew he was going to sidearm to his running back multiple times on that drive. Disappointed, not shocked. I think, uh, you know, the wind was a problem. I'll be, I'll be honest, man. I've been, I've been to a lot of games. I have not been to a game. 
I went down on the field in the pregame because I wanted to know the conditions, right? We did that broadcast on Friday. I was up in the box, and I couldn't really feel, like, what is it like to be on the field? I walked down to the sideline. It was howling, and Oregon State's punter was warming up before the game. He was standing in the middle of the field near his own goal line, and he was trying to punt the ball to uh, midfield or so, and there was a receiver out there at midfield who was ready to catch the ball, and he punted the ball, and I was standing on the Oregon State sideline. The ball went about 30 yards and then started to sail towards the grandstand, towards the seats. It ended up five rows back in the seats. I've never seen a ball do that. It, like, took a left-hand turn midair. And so I think the wind was definitely a problem with some of the passing, and I think it probably affected uh, Ben Gulbrunson more than Michael Penix Jr. because Penix Jr.'s got this little kind of sidearmed delivery, and a lot of his passes, some of them are down the field, but a lot of his passes are intermediary routes. And I know Gulbrunson missed at least three wide-open receivers down the field, but I do think the wind was a factor on those throws. And if he connects on any one of them, I think Oregon State ends up um, in a lot better position, probably wins the game. But I also know Jack Coletto falls down on a you know fourth and short near the goal line. If he doesn't fall down, I think they walk into the end zone. He tripped. Uh, I also know that uh, Jonathan Smith went for – uh, you know, fourth and three, he went for it in the red zone instead of kicking the field goal and taking the points early in the game. Now, maybe he was worried about kicking a field goal into the wind. Maybe uh, he just thought they were up 7 nothing at the point, and maybe he thought getting up 14-zip would uh, just bury Washington at that point. I felt like Oregon State was the better team, but they were playing on the road, and they lost the game. And I, I think they should be disappointed with that outcome because – Man, they were very close to winning that game. And I think, you know, Washington's going to Autzen Stadium this week. I don't think Washington can win. I don't think there's any way Washington can win this game. I do think there's a way Washington can play in this game and stay in this game. But I, I just don't see an outcome that, that ends up positive for Washington on the road, Autzen Stadium. I mean, if it's tremendously bad weather or if Bo Nix got hurt, or, some, you know, there were four turnovers, maybe it's a different story. But I think, you know, unless there's a weird game, I don't think Washington can go to Autzen Stadium and win. And we're going to have Softy from KJR on later in the week. He is coming on. I talked to him before the show. Uh, and we'll talk about Washington's chances to win this game. But Softy told me he's not coming to the game, which I think means he knows they don't have a chance to win. So uh, Washington will be playing at Autzen. Cal will be going to Oregon State Research Stadium, where the Beavers are nine and one in their last ten. That's that game is really interesting to me because of the home field, and I'm really curious to see the response of Oregon State. Now, guys, the biggest story nobody's talking about, and I think it's going to be a big story this week, is Chance Nolan. He did not make the trip to Seattle. My sense was that Oregon State was frustrated with that, that it's been five weeks. They're trying to get him back in there. They know they're better with him at quarterback than maybe Goldbrinson. But I don't think Chance Nolan is anywhere near ready. His neck's bothering him. I don't think he's fully cleared to practice with contact. I don't know if he's going to be back. Like, does it make that big a difference in your mind, or do you just hand the keys to Goldbrinson at this point? 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, you might just hand it to Goldbrinson, but I think that, you know, I think if Chance Nolan plays in Seattle, they probably win that game because yeah. I think he makes some of those plays that Goldbrinson just couldn't make. Um, so I, I think that, you know, at this point, if he's not healthy, he's not ready to go, like, you can't throw him out there, right? And so for that reason, it's got to be Goldbrinson, but I do think that the Beavers need to get him back if they want to have a chance, you know, down the road when they play a team like Oregon. I think they're going to need a guy like Chance Nolan to be out there to make some plays with his arm, with his legs, uh, to extend drives and things like that. But I also wanted to add one thing, John, about the Beavs, is that defense is legit, man. They played well against Washington in that game. They got that pick six. Uh, and it's been one of those things where they've been so much better at home, but they were awesome on Friday night. That offense just could not help them at all. So it was disappointing also in that way. Yeah, the defense, the secondary in particular, very, very good. And, you know, if you think uh... – uh, you know, if you think that, uh, you know, Oregon State's defense is good, like good enough to win, all Jonathan Smith needs right now is a quarterback. And and I start to think about, you know, the idea that, um, you know, Oregon State, you know, did not find a transfer quarterback in the portal. People remember JT Daniels, the former Georgia quarterback, made a visit in March to Oregon State during spring practice. And, he, you know, he had narrowed it down to West Virginia, Missouri, and Oregon State. And, you know, the rumor is he wanted a guarantee of playing time, and he wanted uh, some NIL money. He got $150,000 from West Virginia, the collective at West Virginia. How much better would Oregon State be with JT Daniels? Are they in the playoff hunt right now? Would they have beat USC? Would they have beat Washington? Would this be... You know, an, an Oregon State team that maybe has one loss, maybe at, on the road at Utah, that game got so far away from them, I can't find a way in my mind to make that a win. But would this be a one-loss Oregon State team with, with JT Daniels at quarterback? Uh, I mean, you could argue that. I mean, it's not it's not out of the posi- realm of possibility. I think you're right on that, you know, because that USC game was definitely winnable, and Chance Nolan just couldn't make some plays. Uh, it is disappointing that they haven't, you know, gotten the upgraded quarterback because it does seem like that's the one thing they're missing. The receivers was a big question mark coming into the year. They've stepped up and made some plays this year. Um, you know, obviously Musgrave got hurt, but when he's healthy, he's good. And then the running backs have been great as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's that quarterback that they need. And John, the question I have is, if if Goldprinson's the guy and you have to go with him going forward, can he win a game against the Oregon Ducks? Like, I don't know that that's possible. I think they need Chance Nolan in that one. I think they can. I think at Reacher Stadium they could beat anybody. That and I think Oregon's the best team in the conference, most talented, balanced team in the conference. I think they're better than USC, and I think Oregon State hung in there with USC. I, they'd have to be very clean in that game against Oregon. Like, I'm not going to make a pick on that one because let's see who's healthy. Let's see who's in the lineup. But it kind of feels to me like you know you're banking on Reacher Stadium being the great equalizer in that game, and it might be asking a little too much. But then again. Look, the last time Oregon played at Research Stadium, Beavers won the game. Like, you know, they did it in front of a bunch of cardboard cutouts and stuff, but, you know, pandemic crowd. But it was uh, Oregon State's a different team. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10 at Research Stadium, the only loss being the three-point loss to USC. So it's pretty impressive. They beat Utah in that stretch. Uh, they have, uh, you know, had a, a dominant defensive performance this season against Washington State. But let's see what, let's see what Oregon State does on Saturday. You know, that's that Cal team didn't roll over against USC over the weekend. So we'll see. Will uh will Cal show up to play and you know, will Oregon State just be too much for Cal in that game? We'll keep an eye on it. All right, the big splash is coming up. Uh we got Punch It Audio coming up top of the hour. 
as well. A uh, whole bunch to talk about, a lot to unpack. We will uh, dive deep on uh, a variety of subjects, including athletes who are conspiracy theorists. There are crazy people in all walks of life. Why does it matter when crazy people have microphones in front of them? We'll talk about it coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Friday night uh, went up to uh, Seattle. I guess Thursday night went to Seattle. Friday during the day, we uh, Anna came and the girls blew off school on Friday. And uh, they got to go to Seattle, and so we did the Space Needle, we did the Glass Museum, which I think is kind of cool. Like, have you guys ever been to, like, that Glass Museum up in Seattle? Uh, I haven't. I did see uh, pictures of it on Anna's Instagram. It looked pretty cool. It's really cool, but i got to be honest. I can't can't say this to Anna because I think she was way more into this than I was. Um, It's cool to look at, but... I kind of like look at it and I'm like, let's just keep walking. You know what I mean? Like, it's really cool. I don't understand it. I don't understand why somebody would make a project that big. It's like really, really nice to look at. But for me, it was like a, it was like you could walk through it in 15 minutes and I'd be fine. But other people like to stand and linger and look and, you know, it's just cool because it's, you know, these large glass sculptures that are huge and world famous, of course. And now somebody who's a glass expert is going to at me. Don't at me. You don't have to be into the things I'm into. Like, I don't like pistachio uh, ice cream. It's okay. You know? I don't uh, I don't like green mint ice cream either. It's okay. If you if that's your thing, that's all right. What do you got against, against green ice creams? <laughs> I don't know. I just... <laughs> I'm more of a peanut butter chocolate guy. Mm. Or cookies and cream. There you go. Or Oreo cookie mixed into the... You know what I mean? I, I feel you on those, yeah. I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, it was cool to walk through there. Uh, the Space Needle's awesome like you know we went up and it's rotating and uh it's cool to get that view of the city and then the girls went off to the pop culture museum which i really wanted to go to but i had to go to the football game so they went to the pop culture museum i went to the i went to husky stadium so that was cool for them to see that and i don't normally do that like do you guys like if i go somewhere for work i usually lay low i don't go and see the sights but because anna and the girls want to see the sights I went and saw the sights. Peter, do you do that when you're, uh, let's say you're in a city? Do you feel inclined to do all those tourist things? Uh, just a few of them. Now, the Pop Culture Museum, is that what used to be the EMP, the Experience Music Project, or is that something different? I, I don't know if it is or isn't, but I think it's something different. I think okay. that, it, but Seattle's doing a really nice thing. Maybe Anna will talk about it when she pops in. They, they do this thing where you can buy one pass, and it gets you all of the museums and stuff. See, that's a great idea. That's the way to yeah. do it. And especially, like, if you're getting some value with the bundle, you don't necessarily probably feel inclined to have to hit everything. Because I want to yes. see a little bit, John. But at the same time, it's uh, I know it wasn't vacation for you. Don't get me wrong. You were working. Yeah. But at the same time, if I'm out of town, I, I'm, I'm not there to be stressed out. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And for me, look, I'm well aware after the Space Needle and the Glass Museum, I'm well aware that I'm going to do a three-hour radio show at the stadium. And then I'm going to be at the stadium for a three, three-and-a-half-hour game. And I'm not going to leave the stadium until, look, the lights went out at the stadium. I didn't leave there. I want to say it was 1.15 in the morning. 
and I got over to the stadium at 2 p.m. So I'm at the stadium for, you know, what is that, 11, 11 hours plus. And by the way, at the end of that shift, I'm not complaining, I'm just saying, at the end of that shift, I'm I got to be on, right? So I'm gonna write. I'm supposed to be creative. I'm supposed to be, you know, <laughs> free flowing. And at the end of 11 hours, no way, not gonna happen. So heavily caffeinated and two museums, quite enough for me. Did your uh, shirt blow away like in no. Utah? Because it was windy. Yo, know, but the, there's a weird thing that goes on with these schools. Like, tell me how you guys feel about this. There's kind of like this rite of passage that the sports information director, who's in charge of football seems to do in every Pac-12 city. They have press boxes. They have glass windows. Washington has windows on the press box. It's freezing-ass cold at the stadium, okay? It's howling wind, and they, they opened the windows. It was freezing. Everybody was bundled up. There were people who had beanie caps on and gloves. I had a sweatshirt on. I had a jacket on. I had gloves on. You're on press row. It's I don't get it. Like, it's like you're, you know, because the the game is happening in the cold, the press has to be cold, too. I don't understand that. Close the damn windows. I mean, I don't know. I never, you know, I've, I've been in a few of those when they're announcing the game, so they open it up. Um, yes. So, I mean, I think it's a little different, but at the same time, like, I want to hear, you know, I think you can hear a lot more. You can maybe see a little more clear, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Makes you feel like you're there. Yeah. Tell you that. Not just watching through, <laughs> like, watching, like you're just a visitor watching through the glass. You're not supposed to be there. Oregon does the same thing. They open the windows. And it's generally not so bad. But I thought with the wind howling, I kept saying, safety issue, safety issue. Yeah, like, just, keep, yeah. them, keep them closed. Yeah, claim safety. They got to do it then. <laughs> but nope, they opened them up. They're like garage doors. All of a sudden, right before kickoff, they go up. And everyone goes, oh. And all of a sudden, it was just like being wind whipped for three and a half hours, sitting there with my laptop hunched over it. But first world problems, so to speak. Uh, they... They don't, you don't have that problem at an NBA game, guys. When no. Like, Peter, you're going to cover a Blazer game, or Steven, you're at a Blazer game, or in some NBA arena. You don't have to deal with that. Yeah, that's the beauty of indoor sports, right? Like, that's what my parents always said. They liked that I played basketball because yes. during the wintertime, you know, or the, you know, the cold time, the fall, they didn't have to go outside. They just go inside and sit in the, you know, the warm gym. That's why uh, you don't want your kids to play soccer. Yeah, like, soccer I always, or football, yeah. No, I always no, see the you. soccer parents. And they're outside, and they even have like I I was in uh, I was in Dick Sporting Goods one time, and they have this little contraption. It's like a tent that goes over a folding chair for a parent who's like a soccer parent. <laughs> and you have like you're like boy in the bubble watching your kid play soccer out there. And I thought if that's what you have to use, you might consider that your kid should uh, be, just accept that you'll be sitting in the car. Well, I was gonna say I'm not gonna be the person that sits in the car. Like I'm going out there. <laughs> If I'm going to the game, I'm going to watch from the field. I'm not going from the car. So, you know, I'm not the guy that's going to be wearing the bubble, but, uh, yeah, I'll be bundled up. I was really happy when the oldest daughter chose volleyball. And I was like, you know what? I can do a gym. I'm okay with sitting in a gym for six hours. That's good. I'll do that versus sitting outside. But who knows with these uh, two younger ones what they'll be into. This brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know today. What is it? Let's do it. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, check this out. You know, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens uh, are on the Hall of Fame's Contemporary Baseball Era Ballot. 
Yes, the controversial Bonds and Clemens are being considered for the class of 2023. Also considered Albert Bell, Don Mattingly, Fred McGriff, Dale Murphy, and Rafael Palmero. Notably absent from the ballot is Sammy Sosa. This is a 16-person committee which consists of Hall of Fame players, baseball executives, and a couple of veteran sports writers. They'll vote on the players at the winter meetings. You must get 12 of the 16 votes, 75%, to get elected. Bonds and Clemens each appeared on the baseball writers' ballot for the 10th and final time this last election cycle. They did not get in. All four immediately became eligible for the Contemporary Era Committee, which uh, considers players who made their contributions from 1980 to the present era. Keep an eye on Dale Murphy, multiple MVP award winner, probably the best player in baseball for a decade. Uh, Dale Murphy was passed over by voters. People know him from the state of Oregon. But Bonds Clemens, in their last-ditch attempt to get into the Hall of Fame, and so Dale Murphy goes as well. Keep an eye on that. The uh, Baseball Writers Association will vote on the rest of the ballots. I'll keep you posted on what I do with my ballot. I'll keep you posted on what I do with my Heisman ballot as well. But we got Punch It Audio coming up. We'll do it in the next segment. We'll talk about uh, Josh Allen, who is being evaluated for an injury. If you have him on your Fantasy League team, you'll want to stay tuned. We'll give you the latest on Allen. Plus, uh, we'll talk about the weekend that was in the NFL, kind of a wild weekend, and the week ahead in college sports, including tomorrow's college football playoff rankings. They'll be out tomorrow evening, so uh, they'll happen about 24 hours from now, in fact, not even in the evening. We'll get the latest rankings. We'll find out where Oregon sits. I think, I think Oregon's got a little bit of an SEC problem. The Pac-12 in general has an SEC problem. I'll give you what I know about that coming up. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. It's not often that Anna sends me a link to a sports story and says, we need to talk about this, but she just did that. Just texted me a link. She's going to be joining the show coming up in this hour. Um... I'll tell you what story it is. I'll just let her tell you what story it is. I think it's better. Better to do that. But surprising. This is like me texting her like, you know, here are five tips for when you go to Disneyland. I was going to say like a, like a parenting advice or something. <laughs> I was going to say that too, but I didn't want people to think I was sexist. That like her job is to manage the kids. No, but she's just, I mean, you know? no offense, John. <laughs> she's, she's probably better at it. Hey, like, hey. hey. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I know my wife's better than me at it, so I whatever. I told our uh, youngest this morning, I had a rough morning with the youngest daughter. I was in charge of making sure she ate her breakfast. And I, she's six, okay? And I told her, I said, listen, I'm not going to tell you 14 times to eat your breakfast. And then I proceeded to tell her 14 times, eat your breakfast. <laughs> she owns me. I would never let her know that, but she does. It's I'd the most frustrating thing ever to have to do that. Food. It's like you say you're hungry, just eat it. Like, eat why, it. Why, why do I have to keep telling you to eat it? Why do I? Yeah. And uh, then uh, she wears glasses, and the other thing was, where are your glasses? I don't know. Well, why am I looking for your glasses? I don't know. It's, a, it's another story. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, are meal times like, is that an issue, Peter? 
Stephen, is that is that a recurring issue mealtimes in young kids? In young kids, yes. In my household, not so much. And that's not to say that everything's all great. That's just, it's like the one thing that I'm actually pretty firm on. Like, dad's pretty chill. You know what I mean? Dad understands that being a kid is tough and everything's okay. But you know what? We're going to sit. We're going to eat at this table. We're going to talk about our day. And we're not going to be here for an hour. So so that seems to go well. Mm. You're, you're good at that. Nothing else, though. <laughs> my, mine is like, hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Well, find something to eat. Okay, what do you want? I don't know. Well, you know, just go find some crackers or something. I don't know. Go ask <laughs> Mom. Our thing has resorted to, uh, you know, we have, we have a kid that we sponsor who is in Africa, okay? Her, her, her name is Ruth, okay? She, we got her photo. We get a letter from her every now and then. And uh, there's kind of a recurring conversation in our home about, you know, Ruth had a list that she made for what she wants for Christmas this year. And on her list was a bag of flour, a bag of rice, some uh, new bedding for her room. Like, there, you know, we sponsor her through a program that goes through our church, okay, Africa New Life. People are familiar with this. But... We've got Ruth's picture. We get a letter from Ruth now and then a few times a year, and, you know, we sponsor her. And so I try to remind my kids, like, how good they have it. Like, you know, I, you know, if Ruth were here, I wouldn't have to tell her 14 times to eat her breakfast. Because Ruth would look over and go, this is what you guys have for breakfast? Like, you know, and but it's hard to tell a six-year-old that, you know. I get it. Six-year-old doesn't get it. I agree. We were at the store the other day, and my son just kept asking me, like, hey, can we get this? Oh, is that the bookstore? He's like, I want this book and this book. I'm like, well, Christmas is coming. Let's put it on there. And he's like, you kept asking me. And I'm like, well, we don't have money. And he goes, what, are we poor? I said, yeah, we're poor. And then he, like, about cried. <laughs> so you're trying to – you're just trying to give him some context because yeah. you don't want to – You also, there's, like, you know, the whole idea of delayed gratification – is in this too like you want to teach your kids like even if you can get it that maybe it's not the best thing to give them everything right away yeah like i just gave up because he just kept kept pounding like yeah we're the rapport then like just there we go we're poor we can't afford it and he's like oh oh no we're not poor we have a house I'm like <laughs> okay i don't know what to tell you then yeah there you go give him some context yeah. now get, also you're going to give him a complex because, you know, he's going to start squirreling away his lunch money now. I know. <laughs> like, I, like I did when I was in first grade. So there you go. Uh, all right. We got some punch it audio. We're going to play it here. Anna will join the show coming up. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. Uh, they lost to Washington on Friday night. Tough game. Oregon State uh, now not likely to get to Vegas, can't get to Vegas mathematically. What are they playing for now? Here's Jonathan Smith. Punch it. We addressed a little bit of that uh, as a team uh, and really just focus on what opportunities you have moving forward. we got a bunch in front of us, uh, excited about three games, two of them being at home. Uh, still have opportunity to finish the season with a, a record we can be really proud of. Obviously, we're going to play in the postseason, and so the opportunity we've got to, you know, make that game even better by the the way we play and again we've got a mature group there's no question there's some disappointment anytime you lose 
Um, but they, they've rallied back. I thought the, the vibe was solid yesterday digesting the tape, and I'm expecting these guys to be really energized and inspired uh, this week. Oregon State sitting in the sixth spot out of the 12 teams in the conference. Are they a top half of the conference team? That's the question. They don't have a great quarterback. They need better quarterback play. Ben Goldbrinson's got to be better. He's got to hit some of those open receivers, or they need to get Chance Nolan back, one or the other. Hey, John, but, that clip, did it? Did you take away like I did? He was trying to say, we can spoil Oregon season without saying yes, it. Yes, okay. like yeah, he, he, he was definitely beating around the bush, but like that's what he was getting at. There, yeah, Oregon season, not just Oregon season, like, look, it's it's a chance for them, you know, they could go to the Oregon game sitting at 8-3, and three, chance to win 9, and then a bowl game would be 10. So there's a 10-win season out there. There's a spoiler for Oregon that's out there. There are two games against teams that are in the bottom half of the conference they should win. They get Cal at home this week. Cal is 1-5 and five in conference play. That's a team they should beat at home. Then they go to Arizona State. They're two and four in conference play. They have a good chance to win that game. They could sit at eight and three, going to the, you know, the rivalry game against Oregon, the game formerly known as the Civil War. That would be huge. Be a big win. Go to a bowl game, chance to win nine or ten. That's building on seven wins and a bowl game loss from a year ago. You got to build, build, build. This is a building opportunity for Oregon State. But on Jonathan Smith, like guys, he's got to go get a quarterback. Like, you can't be in this position next season. It can't be, hey, Ben Goldbrinson's a sophomore now. Like, there has to be a guy at quarterback. Washington got Michael Penix Jr. USC got Caleb Williams. Cam Rising went to Utah. Oregon got Bo Nix. Guess what? Those are all teams that are in front of Oregon State in the standings. That's why they're there. Like, Mike, you put Michael Penix Jr. on Oregon State, and, you know, they win the game on Friday. And that's the beauty of the transfer portal. I mean, there's going to be some guys out there. Now, now the question is, can Jonathan Smith bring him into Oregon State? I think, you know, I think he can, and I think he's got to go do it. LSU knocked off Alabama in overtime. Brian Kelly, so emotional. He left Notre Dame for LSU. He's now uh, going for it, going for two like Jonathan Smith. In the overtime period, LSU walks off a winner. Here's how it sounded, first of all. Uh, Game-winning two-pointer, and then the emotional Brian Kelly. Mason Taylor, the tight end, right of the formation. Williams in the backfield. Alabama can't get the players off the field. They just got him off. They had 12 on the field. Here we go. Snap to Daniels. Sprint out. Throw to the right. Caught. Right corner of the end zone. Mason Taylor. Tigers win. Tigers win. Hey, now. 32-31. And the fans storm the field. Wow. Brian Kelly says, we're going to win this one. And he does. Well, Brian Kelly didn't waste any time. Coach Kelly, how do you decide to go for the win in that moment? It just felt like the right time. Our guys, they played so hard and um, good emotion. Um, I just love the way our guys competed, and uh, I didn't want to keep going in overtime. just felt like it was the right time to try to win the game. You make a great play call there. What was the, in your mind when you made that play call? I wanted to get five on the edge. He's, you know, you put him on the edge, good things are going to happen. Made a great decision. The two freshmen played so great today. Taylor made two big plays for us. I'm so proud 
of all players. And this, this crowd, unbelievable. They've made such a difference today. Amazing. Coach, I see the tears welling up in your eyes. That is not your personality. Why does this matter so much? It's just to come here and, and restore the pride and tradition of, of this program uh, just means so much. And um, I've been welcomed down here. And uh, it just so, feels so good to return um, the, the faith and trust that they've given to me. Brian Kelly and LSU beating Alabama. It'll be interesting tomorrow to see the college football playoff rankings when they come out because I think there's a chance that you've got Georgia, which beat Tennessee in front of Oregon still, obviously. I also think Tennessee, the previous number one, is still going to remain in front of Oregon, who was at number eight. So now you have one lost Tennessee, undefeated Georgia from the SEC in front of you. And I think LSU, which was sitting at number 10, might jump in front of Oregon or, if not, be right on Oregon's shoulder. Keep an eye on that. Does LSU, Oregon, USC, do they all move up sort of in conjunction? Or does LSU, because of the win over Alabama, slip in front of Oregon? If not, I think it's right on Oregon's shoulder, and I think there's a problem there. Because if LSU is impressive down the stretch and Oregon has any kind of hiccup, close win over Washington, unimpressive win over Utah, struggles at Oregon State but wins, and they are a one-loss conference champion, I think there's a chance LSU with two losses could slip in front of Oregon. Well, and the thing is, LSU, they have a tough schedule coming up, but if they win out, that means they're going to SEC title game taking on Georgia. So they have something that they could do that Oregon couldn't do, and that's beat Georgia. What if they beat Georgia, and I think Georgia, LSU, would both of them would be in front, and Tennessee might be in front as well. I mean, it just depends what happens here, but I think think there's going to be two SEC teams that are in front of Oregon, and that is a problem. Plus, you have TCU undefeated. Nobody talks about them. And then you have a problem because you have Ohio State and Michigan both undefeated, uh, you know, going into the next week. And, you know, Paul Feinbaum, who is the biggest SEC honk of the land, is spitting some truth when he talked about Georgia, Tennessee, because, you know, Georgia beat Tennessee, but they didn't beat them 49-3. Here's Feinbaum. Punch it. Oregon's problem is a 46-point loss to Georgia. Bo Nix said, well, I think we have a much better game against them now as an understatement. Of course they, of course they would. Uh, that, that was Dan Lanning's first game. But I, I think Oregon has to hope for a lot of things and hoping that uh, they, they, I don't think they can outdo Tennessee. Even though you'll hear the nonsensical uh, chairman of the committee talk on Tuesday night that we value the uh, that extra value point to the, to the conference champion. I don't think winning, uh, even this year when the, when the Pac-12 is a little bit better, winning that league is going to uh, help them enough. Look, I think it's uh, I think it's fun to talk about, but I think I do think the conference championship will matter. But what Oregon needs more than anything is it needs some chaos, and chaos not involving Georgia. Georgia undefeated SEC champion is best case scenario for Oregon. Chaos, Ohio State, Michigan. TCU. That's the kind of chaos that Oregon needs. Got some with Notre Dame over Clemson. Got some with LSU over Alabama. But Oregon has to win out, and it needs Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU to all collectively trip. If that happens, 
I think then you still could have two SEC teams in, one Big Ten team in, and possibly Oregon at number four. That's the only way it happens. I, I think that, to me, is the is the big thing. Finally, Feinbaum went on to talk about Oregon and Washington to the Big Ten. I am so tired of this narrative, but here's Feinbaum punching. Yeah, I mean, you look at Oregon and Washington. They're, I think they were. They're, I mean, they're natural geographical uh, fit to the big to the big to the Big Ten. Now, I mean, I, I think right now none of that matters. I mean, we used to talk 10, 15 years ago. TV footprint that doesn't matter in in the streaming world, and, and I and I think Amazon remains a major player here uh, to to help supplement the Big Ten. I, I frankly think the Big Ten will perhaps go after Oregon and Washington before before they're done. Uh, I don't think he knows. I think he's guessing. Here's what I know: If Oregon and Washington made sense to the Big Ten, they would have taken them. There's some pushback in the Big Ten footprint overtaking on Oregon and Washington. It's not coming from the big guys. It's not coming from Ohio State and Michigan. But it's coming from Purdue and Illinois and Iowa and others who are going, hey, we don't want to have to compete with Oregon and Washington and then also share revenue with them because, frankly, Oregon and Washington aren't worth enough to the Big Ten to justify a full media share. Likewise, if you're Oregon and Washington, let's do some, let's think logically here. Again, we started the show by shooting down rumor and innuendo. You're Oregon and Washington. Keep an eye on the media rights number that's about to come out here in the coming weeks. See, the Big Ten Conference members are getting $62.5 million each. Forget all the lies that you heard, all the propaganda. The actual number is 62.5. That's the number. So if you're Oregon and Washington... How close can you get to $62.5 million a year in a media rights distribution in the Pac-12 without having to travel, knowing that if you win your conference championship, you get to the playoff, the expanded playoff. You're going to get there if you are Oregon or Washington. Heck, you could probably get there as a second-place team in the Pac-12 in a lot of years. Like this year, if there was an expanded playoff, I think Oregon and either USC or UCLA are probably getting in. Two teams. So if you're Oregon and Washington, do you jump to the Big Ten Conference, spend a whole bunch of money traveling, not get that much more in media rights distributions, because I think those numbers are going to be closer than a lot of people uh, uh, anticipate. And by the way, now you got to get by Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State to get to the playoff? If I'm Oregon or Washington, I don't want to do that. Like, it might be cool to say you're in the Big Ten, but I think it's cooler to say you're in the playoff. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Doing kind of a different cool thing this college football season. Uh, I've been posting photo galleries from the various uh, Pac-12 games, hired photographers in different cities, and uh, posted a gallery over the weekend as well for the Portland State home game against Northern Colorado. Portland State with a big win at Hillsborough Stadium and has popped into the studio. They had alpacas out at the game. Is that a good idea to bring your alpacas out to your football game if you're Portland State or too hokey and provincial? 
Uh, I'm a big fan of alpacas, so as far as I'm concerned, alpacas can go wherever, and uh, yeah, they're appropriate in just about any venue. Yeah, they brought the alpacas. <laughs> Uh, uh, one of my, uh, photographers that I've hired, Rob Gray's this guy in Salt Lake City, he just sent me a bunch of photos from the Arizona-Utah game, uh, so I'm geeking out on looking at the photos. He's a fantastic photographer, but, uh, we'll have, uh, we'll have photographers at both the Oregon State game and Oregon game this coming up weekend. So if you, uh, subscribe at johnconzano.com, you're going to get those photo galleries as well as what I, whatever the hell I have to say off of those games. Anna has popped in here. You sent me a text about a story you want to talk about. This very, almost never happens. Almost never, yeah. What, yeah. what caught your eye, and what is this story that you want to talk about? Because I know Stephen and Peter are on the edge of their seats <laughs> oh, as well. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I'm not, like, I don't follow tennis, really. Um, and I barely follow sports, only because of you. But I am a sucker for curious video and so this video had me really interested in what the heck was going on um, it's this video from a tennis match uh, involving Novak Djokovic and this was from Saturday at the Paris Masters semifinals now he won over Stefanos Tsitsipas but it was something that happened okay. during the uh, competition that had people asking some questions. So okay. we're talking about, you know, 21-time Grand Slam champion Novak Djokovic. And uh, in the crowd is his physiotherapist okay. by the name of Ulysses Badio. This is like the greatest conglomeration of hard-to-pronounce names. And he's mixing Djokovic a drink. He's in the stands. Okay. He's mixing the drink, and then he hands the ball girl the drink, who then runs it over to Djokovic. Now, that on its own, okay, you know, whatever, I guess. It's weird. It's a little weird, but it's also not against the rules, you know, according to the people who know these things. And... But the weird thing is that somebody who decides to start to take video of this mixed drinking happening um, kind of catches the eye, maybe, of the guy that's sitting mm -hmm. next to the physiotherapist who clearly says something to him and the people around them. They're all saying, blocking it. Hey, yeah, you know, there's cameras. And so, like, the guy that's sitting next to the mixed drinker turns in such a way so that they're trying to kind of like shade or block what actually is going into the magic potion. And then even the guy in front of him mm -hmm. sort of leans back. And, it, it, and it's kind of hilarious. It's very sketchy looking. But it's also funny because it's the most sophomoric attempt to hide something and bring it. To, it's almost like a little kid who's like, no, nothing to see here. I'm not doing anything you wrong. Know what it, you know what it reminded me of? What? Sneaking something into the movie theater. <laughs> kind of. It's kind of ham-handed. Kind of. You know? and, it's, and you know, if you're sneaking something into the movie theater, it's all about your presentation. Yeah. If you just walk in, like, there's no issue, more than likely you'll get by. But it's the fact that these guys are making such a big deal about blocking anyone's view of what's being, you know, shadily mixed 
um, that then raises your eyebrow and you're like, wait, what's what's in the drink? That's so so weird. And he like apparently he told a room full of journalists at Wimbledon that he was taking a magic potion. Yeah. Quote unquote. Yeah. And look, I don't know why, but I immediately guys, do you like immediately what do you think about? I think about Maguire and Sosa. Yeah, that's what I go to. Yeah, that's tough because it is shady, right? Like to block it like that when people notice that you're doing something. But at the same time, if it was so bad, would they really be doing it out in the open? <laughs> exactly. Like this they, is like couldn't they have done it before the match and like mix the drink before <laughs> yes. and just brought it yeah. up? I mean, Maguire never hid the Andro. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> but he wasn't like shooting up in the dugout, was he? So is the ball girl a drug trafficker? Like is <laughs> she the really? mule? She's the mule here in this in this uh, She's metaphor? a hired hand, yeah. She's hired um, by him. But like if they're gonna if he's doping, they're not gonna do it in front of the T V camera. So I actually think it's probably just, you know, some kind of drink that's you know, some special mixture for him while during competition to replace the electrolytes, but why doesn't he have that in his bag already? Right. Like, is it something that, you know, it, it, there's no shelf life on it? Like, you got to drink it within moments of mixing it. Otherwise, it's ruled ineffective. And also, I don't even know what the rules are when it comes to tennis. Are they? You're allowed to do this. You are? Yeah. I, I don't, but I like, I don't know what the anti-doping, or I guess they would be doping rules, are when it comes to, you know, this level of tennis and how stringently they test and, and all that stuff either. I think that there needs to be some questions about this. It's probably nothing, but I think he needs to answer some questions. I don't want to end up in a situation where, you know, we got a Lance Armstrong situation and then people go, well, why didn't the journalists ask more questions while this was going on? <laughs> it's just so bizarre to but, me. Uh... And the thing, the irony is nobody, I don't think anybody would really be asking if the guys around them hadn't been, you know, acting as if they were doing something wrong, right? That's the whole thing of it. Apparently his guy is named uh, Yuli, too. Yuli? Yuli. Yuli Badio. And, uh, Badio. It, it, it looks like it's an electrolyte drink. That's okay. my guess. But do, maybe they just want to keep the trades of the secret, like the trades, the yeah. secret trades to themselves, you know? <laughs> What am I saying here? It's like the Tom Brady secrets of yeah. how he can stay so good-looking and healthy all these years. Yep. Maybe Djokovic has got it. Do you think? Um, do you think that the journalist who tweeted this photo, this uh, this guy who tweeted the photo, Damian Riley, who identifies himself only as journalist oh, in his uh, Twitter bio, okay. do you think that's journalism to put the video out, or do you think he should be? It's got 12 million views. Well, yeah. Do you think that he should? Uh, be asking some questions in the news conference. Well, I mean, I think he's asking the question right there. Publicly? Like he's, he's saying publicly it looks amazingly dodgy. I mean, he's throwing his opinion in there. And any reasonable person looking at that scene probably would agree that it looks dodgy. The other thing that I think is really interesting is, by the way, what's a physiotherapist? Um, the physiotherapist, after mixing the concoction and handing it off to the ball girl, died. He fell over. He didn't die. No. But the the video continues <laughs> to roll, and if you watch it closely, okay. the guy appears to have been sweating profusely while he was doing this because the oh, last yeah. few seconds of the yeah. clip, he's like wiping his brow <laughs> like he's just like he's a chemist, yeah. and he has just you know. 
had to measure out the right amounts or Djokovic is like, going to like was really stressful for explode him. if it's the wrong <laughs> proportion or something. I yeah. don't know. It all looks very stressful to Well, him. look, it's probably an electrolyte <laughs> drink, but you can't you have to ask like is there a masking agent in there is there something illegal is he tested regularly is this just a, you know a trade secret like nothing to see here that you know you want to move along but um by the way uh the joker has is on record people have questioned whether tennis players are doing what cyclists were doing during the Lance Armstrong era he said if there's no proof uh you shouldn't be uh you shouldn't be uh, questioning it. Is mm. you know, but I think it's I think it's legit. If you see people <laughs> acting like they're you know they're smuggling Snicker bars into the theater, <laughs> you gotta you have the right to ask a question here. Yeah, this is a uh, if I'm the opponent, I want to know what's going on. I'm watching the ball girl. She looked like she's in on it. Like no, no, she's just she. Sure how did she innocent. know where to be? They just hand it over and she's waiting for it. So somebody told her they're going to hand you a drink over the rail. Yeah. And then when she brings it to him, yeah. he knows what it is. Mm -hmm. He just sets it off to the side like it's no big deal. I wanted him to slam it. I wanted to see what happened to him after he drank it. Like, did he grow like Incredible Hulk or Popeye? You know, does his forearms suddenly grow bigger? I don't know. This is what you're talking about with the Astros and the cheating. I just assume all athletes are cheating all the time. Like, they're always trying to get ahead of, ahead of everybody. Well, there you have it. I'm going to tweet it out. For anyone who has, if you're not one of the 12 million people yeah, if you haven't seen it, this, then I'm going to tweet it out right now. This commercial break, uh, at Anna underscore Canzano. Did I get that right? Something like that. All right. Uh, find her Twitter, because uh, you will then see what we're talking about here in this segment. More ahead, we'll talk NFL. We'll talk about the Pac-12 plus... Uh, uh, what's heading? Uh, what's happening in sports this week? We got a big week of sports ahead of us. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I had some sad news over the weekend. World Series ended. Unfortunately. Uh, it was the Houston Astros winning the World Series over the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, if you're an Astros fan, then uh, maybe you enjoyed it. But uh, I doubt we have any Astros fans out there because it's the Astros. Uh, hey, give me an idea, Stephen. Did you win on your MVP vote? Yeah, I did. I uh, We talked about it. I had Jeremy Pena to win the MVP and started the series, and uh, he got it. So I was an Astros fan. I was the one Astros fan in the Northwest. <laughs> What made you pick uh, Pena? Uh, you know, so he was the ALCS MVP as well. Uh, you know, batting second for Houston. I thought Houston was going to win the series, and he was going to play every day. So I thought he had good opportunities to just be in big time spots, and that's kind of what happened in the World Series. Like he had one home run, but he batted, I think, like three sixty, three fifty, something like that, and had a lot of clutch hits. So that was what I was hoping for, and uh, it was a good value. I think it was like seventeen to one. So uh, I decided to take it and got it. Good for you. Got that done. Astros held their parade today. For people who don't know, a million people showed up in Houston for the uh, downtown parade. Anna, did you participate? No, you didn't. You were barely born when the Blazers won their championship. You weren't even born in June of 1977. Yeah. You were still not born yet. Yeah. So you had no ability. You were, you know, and you weren't born 
in the U.S. You were born in Taiwan, so <laughs> right, right. it's not like they celebrated in Taiwan anyway. But uh, So no parade for Anna is what I'm saying. But Houston got a parade. A million people showed up today in downtown Houston. The mayor of Houston encouraged fans to come to the parade, wear Astros colors, be loud and celebrate safely. Parade started at noon, lasted a couple hours. Players rode the floats. People cheered. There was one arrest. Do you know what it was for? Uh, Take a wild guess. People got in a fight? No. Uh, One arrest. A 33-year-old man was accused by Houston police of throwing a beer can at U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, who was on the back of a truck (laughs) that was part of the parade. Police said the beer can hit the Republican senator from Texas in the chest. He did not require medical attention. The man was arrested by police, and uh, that was the only uh, that was the only arrest. There is video of that too. On oh, Twitter. there, is. yeah, there is, there yeah. is. Yeah, I saw. Oh, it. No, <laughs> oh, million people. We need a parade. Can we get a parade? Can the Blazers win something? Can the Ducks win a national championship? Can Oregon State baseball win another title? You know, they didn't have a parade for the Thorns. They had a you know they had a celebration. We need a parade. We deserve a parade. I want to see a million people in downtown Portland or on the I-5 as the Oregon Ducks celebrate a national championship. Can we, you know, what is our best shot to win a title, guys? Mm, probably the Ducks. Well, I mean, You're firing me up now, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's tough. I mean, it's not the, uh, not, it's not probably. the Blazers. It's not the Blazers. If we're talking Portland, like, I just don't know that it's the Blazers. Next next national championship or world championship in our state comes from probably what? probably Corvallis, Oregon State baseball. Oregon State baseball, okay. Mm-hmm. How about Ducks basketball? Could they do it? Could Dana Altman do it? Could yeah. Kelly Graves do it? Could Scott Ruick do it in women's basketball? <sighs> yeah, I think I think Oregon I think Oregon could do it for both basketball, but this I'm not is, confident. This is awesome. This is a sad conversation. No, the, well, the thorns. The thorns, thorns just, just did, did it, it, but they didn't do a parade. They, they didn't did do it rally? right. They did a rally. Do a rally. I want a parade. Want Go a parade? around the block. But are they going to come up from Eugene up to Portland? Start the rally in Eugene, then come to Portland for your... Uh, the Ducks should yeah. just go. If the Ducks won a national championship or the Beavers win one in baseball or whatever, they should do a parade on I-5. A state, a state uh, celebration. Yeah, we can yeah. all hang over the Just overpasses. Just a caravan. Just a caravan. Maybe it's because we have too many parades as it is. Maybe, you know, because we have the Grand Floral Parade, we have the Starlight Parade. Mm. Maybe we're all paraded out. Could be, you know, or our teams just haven't delivered. That's the alternative (laughs) to that. Blazers, uh, get it together. We would like a parade. I'd like to see a million people hanging off light posts in downtown Portland and uh, Bill Walton riding his bike to the ceremony. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, Coming up, uh, we'll talk about the week ahead. What do we have going on in sports and the latest on the injury in the NFL that has people buzzing? Leave it here. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Injury in the NFL. Let's talk about Josh Allen. By the way, biggest news of the weekend in your mind in the NFL, guys. Uh, I want to. I'm going to ask you that question at the end of this segment. What you think the biggest development over the weekend in the NFL was? But Bills quarterback Josh Allen is being evaluated for an elbow injury, right elbow injury, the ulnar collateral ligament. It's a uh, ligament 
and the related nerves that you often see some pitchers in baseball have trouble with, uh, especially guys who throw a curveball. But uh, Allen's status is uncertain for next week's game against Minnesota on Sunday. Coach said they're going through it. They're going to know more in the next 24 to 48 hours. Uh, they lost to the Jets 20-17. to 17. Um, Bryce Huff, Jeff, Jets lineman, uh, hit Allen's throwing arm. There was a strip sack. It was recovered by Buffalo, but it, he was never the same after that. Allen said after the game he had some pain. Final play of the game, though, he threw a 69-yard pass in the air. According to uh, Next Generation Stats, the it was the longest pass attempt in the last six seasons in the NFL. So maybe Allen was just trying to go, okay, do I still have it? But keep an eye on that injury. Allen has not missed a regular season game since his rookie season when he also had a UCL injury in the right elbow. Caused him to sit out four games. So keep an eye on that. What was the biggest story of the weekend in your mind, guys, in the NFL? I mean, if, the Josh Allen's got to be the biggest because I think he's the most important player to the Bills. But uh, after that, it's... Are the Seahawks good? I think they're good. <laughs> they're six and three. They're winning yeah. the NFC West. Um, I I think they're good now. And you know, you look at their win total, updated win total. It's nine and a half. So it's like you're betting. Are the Seahawks going to win ten games? And that seems like a crazy, I mean, insane thought at the start of the year. But Geno Smith is right there. You know, for comeback play of the year, for MVP, he's up there. Like this Seahawks team is fun to watch. And I'm not even a Seahawks fan, but I'm finding myself rooting for them. Uh, just because of all the turmoil they had with the Russell Wilson situation and how they look right now. Like, they are a fun team to watch. And that's my question every week is, like, they keep winning, and I just keep asking myself, maybe they're just good. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe they're just good. They they clearly made out on that Russell Wilson trade. Like, those the guys they got in that trade are playing and contributing. And so they've won four in a row. Pete Carroll, you know confidence is comfort. Comfort is confidence. And Pete Carroll's got him playing. Peter, biggest story of the weekend in the NFL in your mind. Well, I mean, it is the Josh Allen news. That's a Super Bowl contender. And, I mean, he made that huge throw. But you look at what Stafford's doing right now with his elbow injury. You look what Roethlisberger did at the end of his career over the last couple seasons. You hope that's nothing serious. I want to give an honorable mention, though, to uh, Frank Reich getting fired. Not that he got fired. But it was big news that he lasted this long because that offense has been horrible. Uh, no matter the quarterback, Matt Ryan hasn't done anything. I thought he was going to get fired. Last year, they closed with a miserable loss to the Jaguars. This year, they got shut out by the Jaguars. So somehow uh, making it to uh, November, I guess it was 6th, that he got fired. Uh, props to him, I guess. To me, the, the two big stories, uh, along with what you guys are talking about, are the Eagles and the Dolphins, and maybe even the Minnesota Vikings. It's some We have some new faces, right? Like, you know, the Dolphins, uh, they're not undefeated, but they've won every game that Tua has started. And they have, you know, Tyreek Hill in there doing backflips. They're 6-3. and three. The That Eagles, was impressive, by the way. Yeah. Had a backflip with <laughs> pads on. That was yes. awesome. Nick Sirianni of the Eagles, 8-0 uh, start. Like, this is, you know, they've there's some new faces there in Minnesota is quietly, you know, sneaking under the radar a little bit. They're seven and one and do it with some defense. The other story that I thought was interesting is the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. Mm. Now I know that they don't have a lot of skill positions, but Rodgers is not throwing the football well either. He was horrible this weekend yeah. in the red zone. He horrible. was really bad. Like he threw it off the opponent's helmet. Uh the interception that Aiden Hutchinson had at the end zone. It was an underthrow to his offensive lineman. Obviously, why are they throwing to an offensive lineman is another question. 
but he underthrew it. Like, is Rodgers washed? We can say that the same thing for Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, like Matthew Stafford, like you said, Peter. Like, there's a lot of these veteran quarterbacks that is this is this their last run? Like, is this their legit last run? We're really starting to see the baton passed off to these young guys. And Rodgers, you know, he didn't have to come back. Like, there were some people who said, hey, you know, he wanted to go somewhere else, but he decided to come back with the Packers. Here's the next three or four games for Aaron Rodgers as well. It's the Cowboys. It's the Titans that play a little defense. It's at the Eagles. They're very good. Uh, he's got the Bears and the Rams. Then he has the Dolphins and the Vikings after that. This could get ugly for the Packers. Yeah, I mean, they have no chance to win that division. The Eagle or the uh, Vikings have a, just a stranglehold on that at 7-1. Kirk Cousins is going to win that division. But, yeah, I mean, the Packers, they're going to have to make some moves. We talk about Oregon State having to go out and get a quarterback for next season. Like, the Packers... They're so cheap, and they like to go by the draft, but they have to get some type of skill position for Aaron Rodgers to work with because he obviously doesn't like the guys he's with right now, and they they need something, you know, they need a little spark on the offensive side. Meanwhile, in the NBA, guys, is it time to say that the Blazers are, you know, they're six and three? Maybe it's too early to say that they're going to be a uh, top six team in the West. But uh, certainly an encouraging start for the Blazers, who, you know, have been without Damian Lillard for several games. Steven, I saw a tweet from you. Are you on the bandwagon now, or what's going on? No, not not quite yet. I'm still going to give it a give it a little bit. Come on, bit. baby, the water's warm. Ah, <laughs> uh, so you know, I was talking to some people. <laughs> Peter's in the water. Peter, Peter, <laughs> Peter dove right in. I was talking to some people, and you know, I because I texted him. I'm like, are we wrong? Are the Blazers actually good? Just like the Seahawks question. And we started talking, and you know, it's like you know, we need to give it till the end of November. I need twenty games. Yeah, twenty. They're at nine, they're at nine games. The right end now. of November, they'll have played twenty-two games, and I think at that point we can really make a good uh, decision on if they are a contender in the Western Conference or if they were where I thought they'd be in the play-in tournament. I think they came out this season with something to prove after the tank last year, and they've done a really good job. And they're a lot better and a lot more fun than I thought they would be. I can't, I can't deny that they really are, and they're doing some things. Uh, defensively with Chauncey that I really enjoy, but I'm not ready to buy all in yet. I still think that they're a playing team, um, but you know, if by the end of November they're really competitive and they're doing it every night, I'm willing to change my mind. Peter, the water's warm. Uh, the Warriors are three and seven. The Blazers are six and three. I would have switched those two things if somebody would have asked me at the beginning of the year what is going on with the Warriors. And what are the Blazers doing that, that you're loving? Yeah, what the so it doesn't even have to do with the record what I'm loving with the Blazers. It's the style of the, of play and the fact that, you know, defense, hustle, transition, those things don't slump. Shooting slumps. And we've seen that for the last, what, decade? Uh, 11 years as well. If we make shots from the outside, we're going to win. And if we don't, we lose. Uh, the way they're playing, I mean, look, Dame can be out. Dame and Anthony Simons can be out, but they can still, you know, get their hands on loose balls, uh, take it to the rack. They're drawn free throws. They're being aggressive. And that's just the sort of thing that that, uh, that you're going to need to make a push to the playoffs. Now, when I say they're for real and I'm all in, I'm not saying this isn't going to be a four seed. You know what I mean? But this is better than a playing team. Six, seven, eight. Uh, to me, that's a real team. That's legitimacy. Uh, the Warriors, man, Clay has been struggling. And that bench, look, I'm so big on their young players. Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, James Wiseman. Somehow I'm the last guy on Wiseman Island still. But uh, they have been very, very bad. Even Jordan Poole has had his struggles this season and kind of to your both of your points about look give it 20 games 
Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying with the Warriors. They're too talented to, you know, have a 33% win percentage. They're going to figure it out. Who finishes higher in the West? I mean, I, I think Golden, Golden State. State. Golden yeah. State's going to finish in front of the Blazers. But, look, I'll take what the Blazers are giving us. I mean, even the other night, they beat Phoenix at the buzzer, ran a lot, nice little play. They got to win. I thought, you know what? That's all we asked. Steven, at the beginning of the year, what do we say? We just want them to be fun. Yeah, and I, I wasn't even convinced of that, but I, I'm wrong on that. They are a fun watch, even without Damon Ant. And I think that's the thing that Peter's talking about is, you know, even without those two guys, think back in years past, that would have just crushed the Blazers and it would have been an L right away. But even without their two best ball handlers, they beat the Phoenix Suns, who are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. And it's just a team effort. And so that's what I like to see. So Damon Ant are back tonight against the Heat. Uh, Tyler Hero out for the Heat. So... No, I'm not going to say the Blazers are going to win, but it's a winnable game in Miami uh, for the Trailblazers today. I still expect the Heat to win, but you know it's a tough place to play. But uh, you know they're on the right direction for sure. The Lakers are bad. They're two and seven, second worst record in the West. At what point do they give up all the way on this era with LeBron, <laughs> Anthony Davis? Is there a moment where Rob Palenka waves the white flag and they trade Anthony Davis, or do you keep him and? That's the guy that you start over with. They should have waved the white flag, what, October 17th? Is that the yeah. day the season started? I mean, I've heard whispers that Davis might be available, but, man, you gave up so much for him. You look at the future and even the present in New Orleans, things are so bright, and then you'd be selling at the lowest possible value uh, on Anthony Davis. They have to get shooters, but they have no other way to do it. I think they might pull the ripcord, but I doubt it. Yeah, I think it's when Bronny's eligible for the NBA, then they look yeah. to trade LeBron to whoever wants Bronny. But, yeah, the Lakers, man, they're in trouble. I thought the Lakers would bounce back this season, but they uh, look even worse they look bad. than a season ago. Yeah, they're bad. And I think, you know, you'll see in short order, I think they will start all the way over. Uh, the 5 at 5's coming up. Uh, for those of you who love Monday Night Football, we've also got a Monday Night Football game on the horizon here in Portland on uh, 750 The Game. We will be getting... Uh, the great game tonight, Baltimore, New Orleans. Uh, you know, you like you like defense. You like the Ravens. You like Andy Dalton trying to shake his primetime woes on Monday Night Football. Andy Dalton six and nineteen in primetime games. B F F T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. Here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. You're in the happy hour, the 5 o'clock hour, right here on the Bald Face Truth. We've got the five biggest, baddest stories, the five most important dynamic stories going on in sports. We have combed the universe, so you don't have to. Anna and I are going to present that now. Anna, you ready for this? Uh, I am. I don't know about most important as far as the ones I'm presenting, but yeah. they were the ones that were most, most interesting to me. Do you? Uh, are you hydrated? I am. Are you stretched out? Athletic stance. All yes. right, Did let's one of do the it. Kids, go mix a drink for you and bring it over. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I wish. Secretly, get her the cream or the clear. I don't know which. Let's do it. The five at five. Well, let's start with Bonex. Bonex has done it. He has become the first player in the Pac-12 to win back-to-back-to-back Offensive Player of the Week awards in the Pac-12 Conference. Bo Nix has been nothing short of remarkable. Just the third player ever 
to win three straight Pac-12 Player of the Week awards, but he's got a three-peat this season. Completed 83% of his passes, threw two, two touchdown passes against Colorado, rushed for two more, had a receiving touchdown. Bo Nix has 36 total touchdowns on the season. He leads all of college football. Number two, Anna, go. So last week, Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach said he was worried that his wide receiver's kids would have T-Rex arms because they were so bad at catching the football. This week against the Auburn Tigers, he was once again unhappy with how his wide receivers were playing. So I don't know if you've seen this video. Again, sucker for good video. He systematically folded up the chairs on the sidelines because he felt like they didn't deserve to sit. Now, I don't know if that's good coaching, bad coaching, but that's what he did, and it's very entertaining to me. Uh, I, uh, I actually understand Mike Leach in a way. I get it. You know? He still won. I get it. I, one time, you know, Mike Leach won six in a row against Oregon at one point. He beat Mario Cristobal in the last few of those. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, six in a row. And he goes, imagine what I would do if I had his players. <laughs> like, you know, he he has a little bit of he's some edge to the guy. Yeah. Number three in our five at five. Let's turn our attention to the NFL where there are a whole bunch of injuries and a whole bunch of problems. You know, we got a firing in Indianapolis. But let's talk about that firing in Indianapolis. Frank Reich out as the coach of the Colts. In comes Jeff Saturday. Saturday. The name is Saturday. Interim coach. He's 47. Saturday is the six-time Pro Bowl center. He's currently an ESPN analyst. He's been a consultant for the team. He's in the ring of honor. But he wasn't on the coaching staff. He was the head coach for the Hebron Christian Academy in Dacula, Georgia for three seasons. The Colts scheduled a news conference for tonight. Owner Jim Ursay, general manager Chris Ballard will be there. Saturday was hired to be the interim coach from outside the organization. This does not, in case you're wondering, violate the Rooney Rule, which requires teams to interview minority candidates. Doesn't apply for an interim head coach during the season, according to the league. Colts have had enough. They lost to the Patriots 26-3 on Sunday, third straight defeat. Got some offensive problems. Reich is out. Saturday is in. You, too, could become an interim head coach. Who knows? The uh, Colts went outside the box on this one. Number four, Anna, go. Well, you know, what you probably shouldn't do during your team's bye week is head to Cabo and get on an ATV, especially if you're the starting free safety for the New York Giants. But that's what Xavier McKinney did. He announced today that he'll miss several weeks due to a hand injury that he suffered while on vacation in Cabo. He joined a group for a guided sightseeing tour on an ATV. Unfortunately, he said he had an accident, injured his hand, and he will be sidelined for a few weeks. Now, the NFL Network's saying that he actually broke his hand. Ouch. So, just adding to the list of injuries for the Giants. So, basically, don't go to Cabo and ride an ATV on your bye week. Well, you can go to Cabo. Maybe just don't get on the ATV. Why I, don't should, I don't even think you should be going to Cabo on your bye week. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You don't need to go on vacation. Go on vacation at the end of the season. 
Don't do it during the season. Don't certainly don't do it on a bye week. No. Am I, I wrong, guys? I Am I, I wrong on that? Yeah, I think you're wrong on that one. I, I think it's their bye week. They gotta, you know, it's so much pressure and so much stress on your body. Just get out. Get out if you can. Out of the country? You need to leave the country on your bye week? Yeah, sure. Just go home and play some video games or something. Take a couple days off. You don't I'm, need to be in Cabo. I'm Anna, just don't be ACD or whatever. Don't do that. <laughs> like, just sit there. <laughs> just sit it. Just sit and have a margarita. There you go. Here's some news in Major League Baseball. It's the fifth and final story. Shohei Otani. There's been some speculation that the Angels might try to move Otani in this offseason. You know, cash in, sell a stock while it's high. Well, Angels general manager uh, told The Athletic today that Otani will not be traded this offseason. Does he know that? Does that mean he's getting traded? A lot of speculation. By the way, uh, Otani was great. He was not a Cy Young finalist. He was not a Gold Glove finalist. He was not Player of the Month or Week at any point. He was written off as the MVP before the season ended. But the Angels are saying they are not going to trade that guy in the American League. Uh, Aaron Judge, uh, obviously, uh, your your American League MVP, but. Uh, if you're Otani, you led the league in strikeouts per nine. You are fourth in home runs in the American League, fourth in wins in the American League for a bad team. He's arguably the best baseball player on the planet. Angels should be building around him. By the way, not a finalist for the Cy Young. American League finalists are Justin Verlander, uh, Dylan Cease, and uh, Alex Manoa. Alec Manoa, sorry. There it is. There's your five at five. Should the Angels trade Otani? Guys, yes or no? Do you move him? Do you sell when a player is at his height? Or do you build around a guy that is so unique and generational that how do you uh, how do you move on from him? I mean, from a baseball standpoint, I think they should move him. But it can't be understated. How much revenue does this dude bring in? Baseball needs a star that is ultra recognizable, you know what I mean? And Mike Trout, who was like the best player since Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle before he hurt his knee, he could walk down the street and most people wouldn't recognize him. Everyone recognizes Otani. That's an asset you can't find uh, anywhere it's in baseball. So I think you hold on to him. Yeah, you got to hold on to him. You know, Like you said, one of the best pitchers, one of the best hitters, well, you can't find that anywhere. You got to build around him and uh, ho- hopefully that, you know, hopefully they stay healthy and the Angels can make a run at some point. Do you think it's interesting that neither judged or Otani made the World Series like we're looking at guys who are like who are the best players in the game right now and you can even include Mike Trout like you know that Angels team how were they so bad with those two guys like I like it's inexplicable to me it's unforgivable if you're the Angels isn't it just proven that like the baseball is the most team sport in all the sports Right, like you yeah, have the best yeah, players, yeah. but it doesn't matter. Like if as long as you're playing hot and you have a couple hot pitchers, a couple hot hitters, just like the Phillies did, they got all the way to the World Series. Yep, I think it's a good point. All right, tomorrow we're back with another great show. Among the guests tomorrow, Jack Coletto, Oregon State linebacker. We've got a visit this week from Softy of KJR in Seattle. He'll be joining us to lament uh, this Washington-Oregon game. Uh, I'm angling for Rich Brooks, the former Ducks coach, to be on the show. I messaged with him a little bit today. He's going to do the Wilner, Kanzano and Wilner podcast. We're going to try to finagle him to come on this show as well. 
Uh, obviously, it'll be a big week of guests. We'll give you the latest on what's going on in the Pac-12 and with Dan Lanning, and we will shoot down rumors. You can enjoy your Pop Rocks and your Coca-Cola. It's not going to explode your stomach.